Well, good evening. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says this, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to our God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we just finished singing, victory does belong to him. Victory does belong to the Lord. However, he is willing to give his victory to us. And so his victory becomes our victory. And that's why it's been said that we are not fighting for victory. We fight from victory because we already have it. We know the end of the story. We know we win at the end. Jesus Christ has already defeated our foe, defeated our enemy. He has disarmed Satan. And so we already have the victory over all things in Christ Jesus. So yes, victory belongs to him, but because it belongs to him and we belong to him, it belongs to us as well. Just to give you a quick example of that, we got here and our media team had been uh, working with the setup and for the longest time they weren't able to get the sound, the mic working properly. And so we come in and say, okay, we're just going to pray. We're going to pray and believe that God is going to work this out, give us the wisdom, insight, whatever we need to get this running because the people of God need to hear the word of God. The people of God need to be able to worship, to celebrate Jesus Christ and the life-giving spirit that we have in him. And so we believe that God is in control of all things. And so he can certainly take care of some technical difficulties that we may have from time to time. And so we prayed for that, we believe for that, and that's exactly what God has done. And so God's word will go forth, his glory will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. So no matter how small, no matter how great something is, just know victory belongs to him, therefore victory belongs to us as well. We thank you so much for joining us this evening for our virtual uh, midweek service we call the Underground and uh, we want to give you an opportunity to prove the victory we already have, even in your giving. And uh, you guys have been amazing. You have been amazing in your faithfulness. We know that God remains faithful to us. The Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny who he is. So we know that God is going to remain faithful, but we didn't know that if you were going to be able to remain faithful, but... You have been remaining faithful to this ministry and to the work. Um, uh, you continue to give and support this ministry. And for that, we thank you because of what you do, your prayers, your giving, your support, your likes, your comments, your shares. You are allowing this church to continue to exist, to operate, and to be a blessing not only this church, but this city, this state, this nation, and even this world. And so we thank you for proving each and every time that you already have the victory. No matter what our economy looks like, no matter the job situation or the job reports and unemployment and everything else that's going on, you know and understand we operate by the economy of God. He says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you according to my riches and glory. And you believe that, you trust in that, and the proof is that you continue to give to that and to this work here. So we thank you for that. We want to just give you an opportunity to continue to do that at this time. You can simply just go to believechurch.cc, believechurch.cc, where you can watch now 
either through Facebook or YouTube, but you can also give now. And we give you four different ways you can give to this ministry. You can give online, you can give by text, you can give by mail, and you can even come by uh, Sundays between 10.30 and 11 a.m. to uh, drop off your gift to the ministry as well. So be encouraged today. Know that your giving is not in vain. You're allowing us to continue to operate and do everything we're doing. And for that, we thank you so much. Just give you a few announcements before we get started. We, of course, started with Holy Week last Sunday, where we combined Palm Sunday and Good Friday, brought those two things together in one message, where we talked about the coming of the Christ. It was not only the coming of the King, it was also the coming of the cure. The cure that would uh, uh, address the greatest problem or issue that we had, and that was our spiritual uh, separation from God because of our sin. So Jesus Christ came as the king that he is, but he also came as the cure. So we talked about that last Sunday. This particular Good Friday, we're not going to have a service, but I have been invited to sit on a pastor's panel. Uh, we're going to go on Facebook Live, perhaps through Zoom, and uh, we're going to be able to encourage everyone on there. Uh, we're going to answer questions to the best of our ability on there as well. So look for that. It's hosted by uh, Mount Pigza Baptist Church in Mathis. So just look for their website or look for uh, them on Facebook uh, this Friday at 7 p.m. And we'll be uh, there encouraging the people and answering your questions there. Then, of course, this Sunday is the Super Bowl of all Sundays. It is Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the life-giving spirit that not only raised Jesus Christ from the dead, but is able to give life to our mortal bodies, not our celestial bodies, not our glorified bodies, not our heavenly bodies, our mortal bodies, our bodies that we have right here and right now. So we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday this Sunday, and if you haven't caught it already from Facebook, we have decided to go ahead and do a drive-in service. Now, this has been approved by Judge Canales. Um, they have rendered churches essential, especially during times like this where the people need to be encouraged and need to hear the Word of God and the promises of God even more than they ever have before. So they've rendered churches to be essential, and they've also allowed churches to do drive-in services where you can come in, you stay in your car, you have no interaction with anybody, and so you're safe, but at the same time, you can see what is going on live in color personally, and that's what we're going to do this Sunday. So we would love to invite you to come out to Believe Church parking lot where we're going to have live worship. We're going to have communion. So we ask that you go ahead and bring your elements, the bread and the cup, yourself. That way we won't have to have any exchanging going on, uh, but if you do... We'll have the pre-packaged ones already there for you. Our attendants will have masks on, gloves on, so we're going to keep you perfectly safe uh, as humanly possible. But just come and be a part of live worship, time of communion, and also obviously uh, a, a meaningful, powerful message uh, concerning the promises we have and the victory we have over death itself. So that is this Sunday, 11 a.m., 4220 South Staples. Please come out and celebrate with us uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
Well, we're going to be continuing our series uh, this evening called Minds of the Minds. If you haven't been with us, this is a series about uh, the battle that we have in our minds, but the victory that we have over the battle in our mind as well through Jesus Christ. So as we go through this particular lesson, we encourage you uh, to comment, uh, give an amen, hallelujah, praise God. Uh, but also feel free to put in some questions in there, whether they're concerning today's lesson or anything that is going on in your life, in this world, uh, biblical uh, questions, anything that you would like God's perspective on, just type in those questions in the comment section, whether on Facebook, on YouTube, or on a group meme, and we'll have somebody monitoring that. We'll get those questions, and then at the end of today's service, we'll take a little bit of time to answer those questions for you. So please participate in that. It's always fun, always a good time that we have at the end of every service to have a Q&A. So let's go ahead and pray for today's lesson, today's word, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with this great and glorious day. Yes, in spite of everything that we are going through, everything that we are experiencing, all of the uncertainty and the unknowns of it all, we know this, that you are still God, that you still reign over all things, you are sovereign over all things, and you are still seated on your throne above all things that we face in this life. So for that, God, we're able to rejoice, to thank you, to praise you, to lift your name up on high and continue to exalt you forevermore because we know you, we are known by you, but now you've given us the opportunity to also make you known at this time. And so we pray, Lord, as we open up your word, may you open up our hearts and our minds to know and to understand and to believe our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear and perceive all that you have for us to know, to understand that we may also do as well, not just for our sake, but for the good of those that we are going to reach and minister to and ultimately for your glory. So watch over your word this night. See that it does what you have purposed it to do even before the foundation of the world. And as you do, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. Because in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Well, I'm not sure if you've heard of the boxer called Reuben Hurricane Carter. Reuben Hurricane Carter was a uh, boxer, I believe, in the 60s. Uh, but he was convicted, he was tried and convicted falsely for murder, okay? He, he was innocent of this crime, but he was convicted of murder, and he would spend nearly 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Almost 20 years, this man, Reuben Hurricane Carter, would spend in prison for a, for a crime that he did not commit. Well, at the uh, end of his time there, when they finally discovered that he was actually innocent and they had uh, uh, his conviction was overturned, he gets out, and of course, they want to know, Reuben, how did you do it? How did you last for almost 20 years in prison? How did you last all those years, all that time in jail, knowing that you were innocent, knowing that they had put you in there for a crime you did not commit? 
How in the world did you survive? How did you make that? And one of the things that he said was this. He said, well, simple. I didn't put any pictures on the wall. <laughs> I didn't put any pictures on the wall. I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that's how you survived prison? <laughs> that's how you survived being in jail for a crime you didn't commit for almost 20 years? It's because you didn't put any pictures on the wall? He says, absolutely. In other words, what he was saying is, I never allowed myself to get comfortable there. I never allowed myself to think that this was my home. This was not my home. I did not belong here. And so I never allowed myself to get comfortable here. I didn't set my cell up. I didn't rearrange. I didn't organize. I didn't put up pictures. I didn't make it my home because I knew it was not my home. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you saw the movie of his story. It was uh, played uh, by Denzel Washington. But in the movie, he portrays Hurricane Carter. And you see in the movie, uh, not only does he not put any pictures up in his, on the walls of his cell, but he doesn't wear a prison uniform. You know, every prisoner has to look the same. Every, every prisoner gets a, an orange jumpsuit or a white jumpsuit or whatever it is. He refuses to wear a prison uniform. They throw him in the hole in solitary confinement for 30 days. He comes out of there and they say, okay, now you're ready to put this on? says, no, <laughs> you might as well put me back in the hole. And finally they give him some clothes from, from the infirmary or the nursery or whatever, but he refuses to wear the prison clothes. He refuses to, to be known by a prisoner's number. He refuses to do that. Why? Because he says, I am not a prisoner. I am not a prisoner. This is not my home. And so I am not going to act like it. I'm not going to act like I'm a prisoner. I'm not going to act like this is my home because I know this is not where I belong. This is not where I'm supposed to be. So while everybody else is settling in, he never lost hope for getting out. Okay? Let me make that clear. While everybody else in that prison was settling in, getting comfortable and getting used to and say, I guess this is my life and I guess this is how it's going to be. While everybody else was settling in, he never lost hope of getting out. And he says, that is how I made it through. That is how me being an innocent man could make it through nearly 20 years of being in a prison for a crime I did not commit. You see, the audacity of hope is this, and the audacity of hope simply means this, having hope against all odds. Having hope when you have absolutely no reason to hope for anything in your life. That is the audacity of hope, and it's the audacity of hope that is one of the most important attributes one could have in this life. The audacity of hope is probably one of the most important attributes anybody could have in this life. Why? Because without it, we quit. Without the audacity of hope, without the, the ability to hope against all odds, we will quit. We will give up. The lack of hope will cause us to give up on all things because we have no 
hope. And this is why prisoners, when they're in that jail cell, and they have their, their release date of when they're getting out, they will take a calendar and they will be, begin to X out all of the days that is leading up to that release date. What are they doing? They're showing that there is hope. <laughs> There is hope, okay? I'm counting down these days. I'm marking them out because the day is going to come when I'm going to get out of this jail. I'm going to get out of this prison. So they are in jail. They are in prison, but they are in there with hope of getting out. But what do you do when there is no release date? Like with Hurricane Carter. I mean, he was convicted of murder. He was sent to prison for life without parole. And so what do you do then when there is no release date? What do you do when you don't know if, let alone when, you're going to get out of this proverbial prison that you are in? What do you do when that's your circumstance, when that's your situation? How do you continue to have hope, have the audacity of hope against those, those, uh, those types of odds against you? Let me give you an example today, one that we can all relate to, the coronavirus, COVID-19, okay? This pandemic that we are now faced with in this world, in this life, we can relate to it because you will notice how we have gone from this is just going to last a couple of weeks <laughs> to hopefully we can have all things back to normal by Easter, so now they're saying, no, we're going to have to extend that to the end of the month, to maybe June or July. Some may say even December. <laughs> and if we don't get a vaccine, who knows when we will get back to life as normal as it was before. And so this is one of the things that we can relate to with not having a due date or not having a release date from this proverbial prison that we now find ourselves in. So how do you continue to live with hope against all odds? How do you continue to believe that somehow, some way, someday, I'm going to be released from this prison? Because it's not only with coronavirus. Coronavirus is not the only uncertainty of life. Maybe it's the job that you are in or the job that you are hoping for. Maybe it is your finances, or your health, or your wayward children, or your difficult marriage, or your failing ministry. Whatever it is, life gives you opportunity for our fortitude to be tested. If you live long enough, life will give you opportunity for your fortitude to be tested for our patients to see if it could handle the pressure. That will handle, not just with coronavirus, but any and every area of or aspect of your life. So this leads us to another mind of the mind. This particular topic leads us to another mind of the mind. And this particular mind of the mind is called hopelessness. Hopelessness. When one is living without hope. 
when one is living without the the belief that things can get better, (laughs) that I can somehow get out of this, and I can somehow move beyond this and recover from this, now I'm living not hopeful, but hopelessly. Now remember, when it comes to the minds of the mind, Satan plants them, life triggers them, but God gives us the victory over them. When it comes to the minds of the mind, Satan plants them, life will trigger them, but it is God who gives us the victory over them. And so it is hope that allows us to rise above the storm. It is hope that allows us to rise above the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in because of this fallen world that we live in. So with all that in mind, I want to now speak on the subject, part six of our series called Minds of the Mind. I'm simply calling The Height of Hope. The Height of Hope. Now to understand why hope is so important, to understand why it is one of the most vital attributes or characteristics one could have in this life, you first have to understand what hope is and what hope is not, okay? You need to understand what hope is and what hope is not. So let's first tell you what hope is not, okay? Hope is not wishful thinking, okay? See, the way that we use the word hope and the way the Bible uses the word hope are completely different. When we use the word hope, we use it as if it is wishful thinking. We will say things like, I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. Especially because we're having our service outside, I'm hoping it doesn't rain this weekend. But maybe it will rain, maybe it won't rain, you don't know. Or I hope I get that job I applied for. Maybe you'll get the job, maybe you won't get the job. You don't know. And so when we use the word hope, it is more like wishful thinking. We are wishing for something to happen. That's not God's definition of hope. That is not the definition that is used in God's word. It is not wishing for something to happen. It is waiting for what you know is going to happen. That is the difference between the way we use the word hope and the way God uses the word hope. Hope is not wishing for something to happen. Hope is simply waiting for what you know is going to happen. Just like Hurricane Carter. He knew the day was going to come when he was going to be exonerated. He knew the day was going to come when he was going to be released. And so he never allowed himself to get comfortable in prison because he knew that day was coming. It was not here. It was not merely wishful thinking. He knew that day was coming. That's hope. It is not wishing for something to happen. It is simply waiting for what you know is going to happen. How do we know this? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures and see what the Word of God has to say about hope. Romans 8.24. Romans 8.24 says this, for we were saved in this what? Hope. 
We were saved in this hope. Watch this. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. (laughs) Hope that is seen, that's not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Translation, you don't hope for something you already have. If you are hoping for a home and you already have that home, you're no longer hoping for it. Why? Because you already have it. (laughs) So hope that is seen is not really hope, okay? But if we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for what has not come to pass yet, then we eagerly what? Wait for it with perseverance. Hope is not wishing. Hope is simply waiting. Hope is not wishing for something to happen. Hope is waiting for what you know is going to happen. Hebrews 11.1 says it this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But it is the evidence, it is the proof of things not seen. I don't have it yet, but this hope that I have gives me confidence, gives me the evidence, gives me the proof that one day I will. So I'm not wishing for it. I'm simply waiting for it. (laughs) Hope is simply waiting to happen what you know is going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. That is God's definition of hope. It is waiting for what's to happen, what hasn't happened yet, but you know it is going to happen. That is hope. Which means this, that hope then must be based on something other than our desires, okay? I don't want anybody to get this twisted, okay? Or to get this wrong. You, you miss this, you may miss, miss everything, okay? Because hope is not wishing but waiting to happen what you know is going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet, that would have to mean that hope must be based on something beyond our desires, okay? It has to be based on something other than our desires. Why? Because we can hope for stuff all day long. (laughs) Doesn't mean it's going to (laughs) happen. You know, I can hope to one day play for the NBA, Chances are that's not going to happen, okay? (laughs) So the hope that we have must be based on something other than our own desires. Our hope is based on not what we seek. It is based on what God has said. That is what our hope is based on. Our hope, the hope that we have of what's, going to happen even though it hasn't happened yet. It is not merely based on what we seek. It is based on what God said. Again, we're not talking about law of attraction. Okay? That is not, that's new ageism. We're not talking about law of attraction. Well, you just name it and claim it, or you just think real hard on it, and you just put it out there in the universe. And no, that is not at all what we're talking about. We are not talking about you having hope for what you desire, and so because you have hope for it, it's going to happen. Wrong. That's not what our hope is based on. 
Our hope is not based on what we seek. Our hope is based on what God has said. Because what God has said, you can take to the bank. God is good on his word. He is faithful and he is true. He is not a man that he shall lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it shall happen. So the hope that we are to have must be based not on what we seek. It must be based on what God has said. James 4, 2 James said it this way. He says, you do not have, in other words, you are hoping, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. There are a lot of people in this world, even a lot of Christians, who are hoping right now. They are wanting, they are desiring something that they don't have currently. That's why they're hoping for it. James said, but you don't have it because you haven't asked for it. He said, well, wait a minute, but that's not talking about me because I've asked for it. I mean, I pray to God and, and I fast and, and I go to the altar and, and I have the prayer chain. I got all kinds of things going on. I have asked for this. So James isn't talking to me. Well, keep reading. <laughs> Read further because he says, you do not have, that means you're still hoping because you have not asked. But then he says, but even when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. That word simply means you missed it. <laughs> you miss what prayer is. You miss what this life is all about. So you've asked, you've prayed, you believe, you've hoped, but you're still not getting it. Why? Because you've asked amiss. What do you mean, James? That you may spend it on, here it is, your pleasure. God says you've missed it. <laughs> Because what you are hoping for and what you are asking for is all about you. It's all about me, myself, and I. Us for no more. You have missed it. <laughs> and so that's why even though you are hoping for what you desire, and you're even asking for what you're de you desire, you're still not getting it because that's not what I'm obligated to do. God is not obligated to keep anything but his word. He's not here to be your magical genie. He's not here to be your Santa Claus in the sky. He's not here to be your ATM. God is not under any obligation to fulfill any of your desires. That's not what prayer is for. That's not what prayer is about. It is not self-centered. It is Savior-centered. It is for Christ. It is for the glory of God. It's for the expansion of his kingdom. And if your desires aren't in line with that, God is not obligated to fulfill them. You say, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that God will give us the desires of our heart? You hear that all the time, don't you, from Christians? I mean, the Bible says God will give me the desires of my heart. So if I want that five-bedroom house, I just need to pray. I need to believe. I need to fast. And God's going to give me the desires of my heart. If I want to drive off with a, uh, with a Corvette, that's the desire of my heart. And so God has to give that to me because that's what the Bible says. Wrong. <laughs> Bible does not say that. See, that's why you got to be careful when you just cherry-pick a certain scripture out of its context. <laughs> 
and claim it for something that it didn't say. No, the Bible says, delight yourself in who? The Lord. <laughs> delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make the Lord your delight. Make the Lord your desire and then he will give you not what you desire. He will give you what to desire. God says he will give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying I'm going to give you what you desire. He said I'm going to give you what to desire. You will have completely different desires that, than you did before you came to Christ. Before I came to Jesus Christ, I had so many other desires in my heart that I wanted to have, that I wanted to fulfill in my life, I wanted to see come to pass. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he gave me brand new desires. <laughs> he didn't give me my desires, he gave me what to desire. And now my desires have changed, my desires have flipped. I could care less about this world or the things in this world or the things of this world. Why? Because he has now given me what to desire. So I desire heavenly things now. I desire eternal things now. I desire for God to be glorified now. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you your delight. <laughs> he will give you what to desire. So what we hope for is for what God has said. Not simply what we are seeking. And that's why prayer, and catch this, prayer is simply calling God on his word. Okay, prayer is a lot of things, and we got a lot of definitions for what prayer is. Prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is just talking to God. Yes, prayer is all that, but effective prayer, <laughs> effective prayer that, that gets answered that gets things accomplished, prayer is simply calling God on his word. Or to say it another way, it is saying to God what he has said to you. <laughs> That's prayer. Saying to God what he has already said or spoken to you, spoken to us. And where has God spoken? In his word. God is never going to contradict his word. He's never going to come against his word. He's never going to bypass his word. He's never going to ignore his word. So we already have the word of God. So when we pray to God about the desires of our heart and the things that we are hoping for, we are simply to pray to God or to say to God what he's already said to us. And that is his word. But you can't call him on what you do not know. Okay? You, if God is only obligated to answer his own word and his own will, and so we are to call God upon his word, you cannot call God upon what you do not know. And sadly and unfortunately, we have a lot of illiterate Christians in this world today. Because Churches and pastors are teaching and preaching everything but the Word of God. <laughs> every, every 
a whim, every trend, everything of this world to attract people and, and to be relevant and all that. They will preach everything but the world. So what word? So what you have now is a bunch of illiterate Christians who do not know God's word, therefore cannot call God upon his word. Oh, they know cliches. <laughs> they know scriptures out of context. But they do not know God's word, and you cannot call God upon what you do not know. And you cannot call God upon what you don't believe. If you don't believe in the word that you know, then your prayer is ineffective. Your prayer is in vain. And that's where the mind of the mind comes in. <laughs> that's where the mind called hopelessness will come in and play a part in your life. Satan will tell you, look, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Things are never going to change. It's never going to get better. You're going to stay stuck in this prison for the rest of your life, so you might as well quit now. You might as well give up now because things are never going to change. Things are never going to get better. You're never going to get out of here. So you might as well get used to it. You might as well put on the prison clothes. You might as well put pictures on the walls of your cell. You might as well, well settle into this because it's never going to change. What Satan does is he plants the mind of hopelessness in you. He gets you to think, he gets you to feel, and he gets you to believe that this is how it's always going to be. <laughs> it is always going to be like this. And so we hear that, we entertain that, we believe that, and that's exactly what we do because of that. We quit. We give up. We give out. <laughs> We give in. We raise the white flag and say, I guess I must get used to this jail cell that I'm in. Let me just settle in and make myself comfortable and make myself at home because it's never going to change. And once we do that, Satan wins. Satan wins. Why? Because it's not personal. It is an attack on the potential. When Satan or his kingdom comes against us, please know it's nothing personal. It's about the potential. God, uh, Satan knows that you are a child of God. Satan knows the potential that that means against his kingdom. If you ever got this, if you ever believed in this, if you ever pursued this, if you ever contended for this, if you ever continued to fight for this and made it a reality and brought it to pass, that is going to bring devastation to his kingdom. So what he tries to do is he will plant hopelessness in you to get you to quit, <laughs> to get you to stop, to get you to give up, why? Because he's after the potential in you. He doesn't want to see you succeed. He doesn't want to see you have a successful marriage. He doesn't want to see you have saved children. He doesn't want to see you have a successful ministry. He doesn't want to see that happen. So he will plant hopelessness in you 
And when he can get you to entertain that and believe that, you will quit because of that and he wins. That is how the mind called hopelessness works. So we'll quit. We'll quit the dream we believe God has given us. We'll quit the job that we feel isn't going anywhere. We'll give up on the marriage that is uh, making us miserable. We'll quit the ministry because it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. We'll give up on God because he's not coming through for us. We'll even give up on life itself. Why do people commit suicide? (laughs) Why do people take their own lives? Because they're in a place of hopelessness. They have convinced themselves or allowed the enemy to convince them that this is not going anywhere. This is how it's going to be forever, so I might as well check out now. It is due to a result of hopelessness that has been planted in their mind, and they have entertained, and they have believed, and so therefore, they give up even on life. So we have become victims of our circumstances rather than victorious over the circumstances. We become victims. We, we've put on the prison uniform. We've taken the prison number. We started to hang up pictures on our cell wall. We've gotten comfortable and used to, and we just began to settle in to our ministry of misery. It's how my marriage is going to be. It's how my finances are going to be. It's how my ministry is going to be. It's how my health is going to be. It's how my job is going to be. And we settle for that. (laughs) It is a place of hopelessness where we no longer believe for better. We no longer believe that things can change. We no longer believe that God has more for us. We simply settle in the misery that we are in. We quit. I, for one, refuse to quit. (laughs) I refuse to quit. I refuse to be a victim of circumstances for any reason. I don't allow my age. I don't allow my gender. I don't allow my color. I don't allow my socioeconomic status. I don't allow where I live. I don't allow anything to cause me to think that I am a victim. (laughs) I I am far from it. Far from having a victim mentality. Why? Because my God is too big. He is too great. He is too good. He is too powerful for me to think that I'm a victim in his hands. I refuse to entertain that thought of hopelessness. I refuse to entertain that thought that this is how it's always going to be. I do not complain about anything. Look, if you don't like something, then do something about it. (laughs) Complaining is not going to do a thing for you. If you don't like something in your life, then do something about it. Don't sit there and wait for somebody to hand you a thing. God has given you what you need to have what he has for you. That's why he says faith without works is dead. Faith without works is no faith at all. 
And so if you don't like something about your life, then do something about it. Stop complaining about it. Stop playing the victim card with it. Refuse to be a victim of your circumstances. Do something about it. And if you cannot do something about your situation, don't stop believing that God can and God will. When it is out of your hands, when it is beyond your control, when you can do absolutely nothing about this, don't ever stop believing that God can and God will. I am a living testimony of this. <laughs> My marriage is a living testimony of this. This ministry <laughs> is a living testimony of this. I wanted to give up on all of that many times. <laughs> no, this is too hard and I'm too miserable and this isn't going anywhere and I might as well quit and give up now. But thanks be to God, God gave us hope. <laughs> hope for a future. Hope for a better tomorrow. Hope that one day this was going to change. One day the marriage was going to change. One day the ministry was going to change. One day the circumstances were going to change. <laughs> and if I could just hold on to that hope, <laughs> I could rise above the storms and the circumstances of life to hold me until my change came. And praise be to God, it's come. Never lose hope. Never lose hope. Never lose the belief that things can get better, that things can change, that I can get out of this proverbial prison that I am now in. There's a story of a famous long-distance swimmer called or named Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick, she was a famous, uh, world-renowned, long-distance swimmer. She used to swim large bodies of water. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways and set the record in doing it. But there was one particular time when she wanted to try to uh, make it to the Catalina Islands from California. San Francisco, I believe, or somewhere there in California. She wanted to swim all the way to the Catalina Islands. And so she got into the water on this particular morning. Obviously, it's very far. The water is deep. It is very cold. Jellyfish are stinging her body. It's real foggy, so she can't see a thing. She just has a boat right next to her. They're telling her, you know, keep going, keep going. She's tired. She can't see land because of the fog. And so finally, after all that, she's cold, hypothermia setting in, jellyfish stinging her, tired, all that happening. She can't see land, so she says, you know what, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't, pull me up, get me out of this water, get me in the boat. So they pull her, pull her up in the boat, and they continue on the journey to land. And to her shock, to her surprise, to her amazement, she only had a couple of football fields left to go. <laughs> About 200 yards left to go, and she would have hit land. <laughs> but she couldn't see land. Why? Because of all the fog. 
And so because she couldn't see land, she thought, I don't know how much more I have of this. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I may have two more miles of this. I don't know. She didn't know how close she truly was to her goal, to her destination. And she quit. She gave up yards from her goal. I sometimes think of the sad revelations that we are going to receive when we go to heaven. I sometimes think of a sad revelation we're going to receive. I believe that when we get to heaven, God is going to show us all the times we quit. (laughs) God is going to show us all the times in our lives and different areas and circumstances and aspects of our life when we quit. He's going to show us the marriage we quit. He's going to show us the job we quit. He's going to show us the church we quit. He's going to show us the dream we quit. He's going to show us all these different times when we quit, but then he's going to show us how close we were in making it. (laughs) You were this close. (laughs) It was just around the corner. If you would have just kept going, (laughs) you would have made it. But you quit. You gave up. Because you allowed hopelessness to set in. Look, this reports of uh, coronavirus, it's starting to take its toll on people. And they say that people are actually starting to commit suicide more and take their own lives because of it. Because death is all around them and the fear of death is always present with them. And rather than live life in the fear of death, they'd rather just end it all right now. But can you imagine those who have taken their own lives, those who committed suicide, and we find a cure next week? (laughs) We find a vaccine next month and this thing is lifted and God says, why did you quit? (laughs) If you'd have just kept going, if you just, you don't know if you would have gotten this or not. But if you just kept going, you didn't know how close you were to being out of this thing. It is the saddest thing, I believe. So the height of hope puts us above the storm. That's what hope does. Hope allows you to go through your storm, go through your proverbial prison, go through your circumstance and your adversity, all these things, but the hope allows you to rise above it while you're in it. It gives you what you need to continue until your change comes. That is the height of hope. So my challenge to you, God's challenge to all of us here today, is that we would remain hopeful rather than hopeless. No matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, no matter what you're faced with in this life and in this world, God says remain hopeful that change is coming, that it will get better, that you will get out of this, that it will come to pass. Remain hopeful rather than hopeless no matter what, because you know that God is able, that God is faithful, and that we will then see the goodness of God even in the land of the living. Amen? As we close now, we want to give you 
an opportunity to make some decisions in light of what you have now heard. I know that life is hard. Jesus, as a matter of fact, told us that it would be. He didn't pull any punches. He told us in this life, or in this world, you will have trouble. It's what tribulation means. Tribulation means trouble. So Jesus said, yes, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trials and tribulation and difficulty and adversity. That will happen. You live in a fallen body, in a fallen world full of fallen people. Trouble is going to find you. If you don't find it, just wait. It will eventually find you. That is what Jesus said. But he also said this. He said, be of good cheer, however. I want you to be of good cheer. Why? For I have already overcome the world. You say, well, wait a minute. That sounds like one of those Geico commercials. <laughs> Guy comes out and he says, I got some great news. What? What is it? What is it? Well, I just saved a whole bunch of money on my insurance. <laughs> Well, that's good for you. What does it have to do with me? And you could be thinking that when Jesus says that, yes, you are going to have tribulation, trial, and trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Well, I'm glad you've overcome the world, Jesus, but what does that have to do with me? Well, you just got to back up a little bit. You got to back up to when he says, I am telling you this so that in me you may have peace. He prefaced that statement by saying, I'm telling you this so that in me you may have peace. So even though you're going to have trouble, even though you're going to have trial and tribulation and hardship and adversity, in the midst of all that, if you are in me, you will have peace. You will have the peace of God, not the peace of this world that's based on circumstance. You will have peace that surpasses all understanding. It won't make sense to you why you have the peace that you do in light of the circumstances you're in, but you will have it. <laughs> that is God's promise. That is God's uh, promise to us by his word that if you are in me and my word abides in you, you will have this peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that doesn't even make sense but you will have it. But notice the condition there. The condition is that you are found in him. This promise is not given to the rest of the world. It's not a blanket statement or a blanket prob, uh, promise for everybody. No, it is conditional. It is prefaced with you being in him. So while God has you in this world, while God has me in this world and in this life, and trouble is a part of this life, he simply invites us to come into him and open our hearts, allow him to come into us. And it's simple. The way that we do that is simple. It is simply by believing. Not just believing that, but believing in not just believing a bunch of facts about Jesus. You know, this weekend there's going to be a lot of people who uh, preach and proclaim a bunch of facts about Jesus. That yes, he's the son of God, and yes, he came as sinful man, and yes, he died for the sins of the world, and yes, he rose again. They believe that, but the question is, do you believe in? Do you believe in what you just quoted? 
Do you believe in what you just heard in church? It's a big difference from believing that and believing it. But demons, the Bible says, believe that. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, people who believe that, but do you believe in? Have you been willing to surrender your life in all of your eternity to what you now know? Have you died to Satan, to sin, to self, to the ways of this world, to the way and the direction that you were headed? And have you turned to Jesus Christ genuinely and given your life to him so that you may be found in him and he found in you? Have you done that? Well, if you haven't done that, today is your day. At this moment, we want to give you the opportunity to make the best decision that you have ever made in your life. To call upon the name of the Lord. To confess your sins to him. To be willing to confess him before men. And to believe even in your heart, not just in your head, but in your heart. That he is Lord, he is God. He is the forgiver of our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And if I just call upon his name and believe in my heart, he will save me. He will forgive me. And he will grant to me true, eternal, and everlasting life. Why don't you do that today? And for the believer who has already made that decision, you already blood-bought, spirit-filled on your way to heaven. Congratulations. I'm glad. Well, please know you don't have to wait for heaven to live like it. <laughs> that is the power of God. That is the power of resurrection. It is heaven coming down to earth. It is heaven coming to us. So don't think that you have to wait for heaven to live for heaven or to enjoy the things of heaven, the things of God. You can have the peace of God, the confidence of God, the assurance of God, no matter what you are faced with at this time. Because Jesus Christ has already won the battle. He's already won your victory. And he's already willing to give it to all who are found in him. So may we all live hopeful rather than hopeless, no matter what we face in this life. Amen. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to our virtual uh, service today. And we hope that you have been blessed by this ministry. If you have, let us know. Go to our website again, believechurch.cc, where you can give, you can watch, you can share, comment, like, subscribe. And let us know if this ministry is encouraging you and being a blessing to you, that we may know that our work is not being done in vain but we are accomplishing what God has purposed us to do through this ministry specifically. We want to continue to uh, remind you about uh, our service. We're going to have a drive-in service. So if you don't have a church home or a place to go or to tune in, we would love to have you come out this Sunday uh, at 11 a.m., 4420 South Staples. Amen? All right. Well, I see we don't have any questions, and so... We're going to go ahead and close in prayer. So wherever you are, just close in with God. Allow his word to seep into your heart and your life, uh, to solidify the things that you have heard today, that you may walk and live by them as well. Let us pray at this time. God, we thank you again for blessing us with this time in your presence. 
We thank you, God, for encouraging us by giving us a word from on high, a word directly from your throne, that we are to combat hopelessness by being hopeful. Hopeful in you, hopeful in your word, hopeful in the promises that you have made that will allow us to rise above the storms and circumstances of life. We know, we believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord both now and forever, even in the land of the living. So as we prepare to leave this broadcast, may we never leave the truth that we have learned here today. May it go before us and keep us in all ways, not only for our good, but ultimately for your glory. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time.